And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, November 30th. Happy fourth birthday to my golden doodle, Hazel. She's a very good girl. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Post-Thanksgiving weekend, I've finally cleared out the excess of desserts that I had in my <laughs> fridge for the last couple of days. And, you know, as uh, you can appreciate as a fellow runner, I have put myself on a course to hopefully run 100K before the end of the year. Not all nice. at once, just stretched out <laughs> over the last month of the year. I got five in on Sunday night, so I'm counting that. So 95 to go before the year ends. I love how runners suddenly love kilometers. I love kilometers so much. <laughs> Everything seems so much more impressive in kilometers. Yeah, if I said I was going to run 60 miles, you're like, oh, it's kind of good, but 100K <laughs> sounds like a nice milestone. The um, I think we're all kind of struggling with too many leftovers given these, the situation with this Thanksgiving. Uh, I did have my dad over, uh, just one person over, Um and so it was kind of hard. I found like the smallest turkey and we cut some sides and we like just, I mean, because we're eating for like five or six people you know, and the mm. kids aren't going to eat crap. So like, you know, we just, uh, we tried to make a small Thanksgiving meal, which is really difficult. And uh, I made some really key mistakes and I'm happy to actually have made them in 2020 because they're much easier to shove under the rug. And uh, now I know uh, a lot better about uh, certain things. I did a dry brine uh, on the turkey, um, and then I combined that with uh, salted uh, butter. And um, and then when we made the gravy, we used a salted stock. Mm-hmm. So the gravy going. was too salty. The the, the even the uh, turkey was a little bit I think on the too salty side, so next year I will have unsalted butter around and low sodium stock and be really careful. <laughs> also, I didn't really necessarily adjust my dry brine to the size of my bird. Ooh, you oversalted. Yeah, we oversalted. <laughs> so, uh, so the cranberry sauce actually became super important. <laughs> 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 as much as I don't necessarily love the cranberries, it was like, okay, let me heap some of that on to, to cut the salt. <laughs> but my mashed potatoes, as always, were on point. I am a mashed potato god. And uh, it was a, it was fun. My, my dad was very happy to get out. I, I feel really badly for, you know, it's been hard for people with kids. But one thing that you do have with kids is at least they're, they're doing something that's, you know, there's things happening. You know, so at least you and hopefully somebody else can complain to each other about the kids. It's something to do. You know, uh, uh, I feel I think maybe the worst for people who are stuck by themselves. Yeah, it's just uh, you know it's weird. And so my dad is uh, you know a bachelor up in San Francisco. Not really. He just uh, shut his business down for the rest of the year, um, and so. I don't know. He's seeing like one person a week. <laughs> so he was very happy to come over. We were happy to see him. And we won't see him again for a couple of weeks. And that's just life, I guess. Yeah, we saw my brother-in-law and then my mother-in-law and father-in-law. So it was just a group of five of us. And I think the dessert mistake that we made, it's not really a mistake, is that everybody's favorite is something a little bit different. So it was kind of <laughs> so like... you made one for each person. <laughs> yeah, you know the old Everybody Christmas story? Everybody gets a whole cake, a <laughs> whole pie. <laughs> where the, the girl cuts her hair to get money to buy the guy something, and the guy sells the thing, and you know that whole situation where they oh. both do something for each other. Well, we kind of did that, but with desserts. 
and we ended up with like one dessert per person. You know, we had a whole apple pie, we had a whole pumpkin pie. Uh, I made a sweet potato souffle on top of that, which as I ate it, I'm like, well, this is delicious, but this is clearly dessert. Like the it's amount of sugar pie. in this thing. <laughs> yes, this is this is pie. This is pre-pie pie. So. Yeah, I mean, what we, was your post pie pie? <laughs> uh, that was a Kringle. Uh, do you guys eat Kringles in other parts of the country, or is no that just a Wisconsin is. thing? I thought that was another name for Santa. No, well, that is a Santa. It is a Santa name. That's very good. Uh, <laughs> a Kringle is a oval shaped, flaky pastry with a filling, usually a fruit filling. Um, and this one, this year, they had a brandy old fashioned one, so there was a little bit of brandy and cherries and probably some uh, orange essence or something in there. And it's got a little bit of frosting on top, so it's kind of like a like a thin croissant with a filling and a little bit of a frosting on it. Uh, mm. More of a dessert, though, than a, I'm into like, that. I'm yeah, into it's, a, that. it's a nice breakfast pastry. Um, mm. So we had that on top of pies. Nice. <laughs> that was our our morning <laughs> sugar rush, and uh, yes, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. It was just nice to see even just a couple people, and, and obviously we missed the. 40 plus that we usually get to see on my wife's side. We you know we didn't get to see my siblings or my parents and I know a lot of people out there change their plans and it's, you know, for the long run better health of everybody, right? To to play it that way. So hang in there if you've been uh, stuck in a situation where you're alone a lot. I can't imagine how difficult that has been. Um again, having a dog in this time, Hazel's a good girl, right? Like that's why she's going to get spoiled for her birthday. Your your dog was uh, socialized in the time of in the before times <laughs> yes that's true i'm having a hard time socializing my puppies yeah um well we did we did doggy daycare too yes they see very few people they see very few dogs when they do see dogs it's on a leash in a walk in a way where it's because of masks and stuff like i don't want to like get super close to someone else's dog sometimes it's hard with the leashes and so like i don't know i don't even know what to do you know, I don't know what to do. My dogs bark at everything. And they're little, so, you know, most people are like, okay, well, it's just a little dog, whatever. He's very cute, and as they back away, you know. <laughs> but I uh, tried to take him to the dog park yesterday, and uh, it was pretty much disaster uh, from beginning to end. They don't they don't bark too much at people. They're they're getting better with people, and the more that people come over and give them treats, I, get, I always have a bag of treats to hand to people. So they, so they, when they see my dogs, the dogs now think, "Oh, new people treats." <laughs> uh, and they, and we've taught them some things. They, they poop outside. They roll over. You know, they're not terrible dogs, but man, the barking is getting to me a little bit. Barking is tough. I think the trick I heard was that you need to teach them to bark on command in order to teach them to be quiet more effectively, which uh, seems very counterintuitive. Uh, fortunately like hazel doesn't bark a lot so we didn't have to do it that way but pretty much every small dog in our neighborhood acts like your dogs so i i'm very familiar with the problem that you're trying to work mm-hmm. through uh lots to talk about on this episode relatively speaking for late november we have the royals making a splash in free agency and you know i'm putting a little extra sauce on it because well there's extra you sauce put in the air fridge quotes and- around <laughs> flash <laughs> <laughs> they're they're trying. You know what? Yeah. I'm not going to rip a team for trying. They went That's out. True. They added Mike Miner. They just added Michael Taylor a few minutes before we started recording this episode uh, early Monday afternoon. Uh, so I want to start with Mike Miner. And the big concern I think we have with Miner's 2020 is that we saw nearly a two mile per hour drop in his average fastball velocity from the 2018 and 2019 levels. He was kind of in that 92 and a half and up range the previous two seasons. Uh, so definitely a concern and, and a guy that didn't have the impact that we expected after the A's acquired him at the trade deadline in 2020. I'm assuming the Royals see him as a starter. He's still a guy that has four pitches, even with that reduced velocity. They have a need for innings, so it makes sense in that regard. But uh, on minor specifically, how concerned are you about that much of a velo drop coming out of the shortened season? I... I'm concerned. I think it's, it's surprising to me that they gave him a, a two-year deal. We don't really have terms yet, though, so maybe it's uh, you know that they did better on money because they did a two-year deal. But you know, if you look at velocity gainers in September and cross-reference that with free agency list, uh, there's only one name in like the top five that hasn't signed. So number one is Matt Shoemaker. 
And I think the reason he hasn't signed is he has probably the most extreme injury history of any starter on the market. Number two is Drew Smiley signed. Uh, number three is Robbie Ray signed. He had a he was up plus one point four in September. This is comparing September velos to March velos of last year. So, um, or, or yeah, is that what it is? September to yeah, I think September to March. Uh, Kevin Gossman up one point one signed. Michael Waka is uh, was up point nine, um, and he was being discussed as a as a as a good option. Um, just last week because of because uh, of that that uptick. So um, I think uh, people look at velocity, recent velocity trends as a sign of health um, and uh, a sign for the future. Uh, so maybe Jake uh, Arietta uh, up 0.4 in September will get uh, a better deal than we expect. Maybe. I mean, I think you could get one plus incentives or something that would be uh, a little more just rich up front. Uh, but I think with, with minor, I look at the 2019 numbers when I kind of do that smush 19 and 20 together trick. It, it looks okay. A 401 ERA, 124 whip, 265 innings. That's what jumps off the page, right? You're getting a lot of volume there. And you know, with that, you get a few extra shots at wins. And obviously, those are important. Um, you look at CSW, 30, not bad from the shortened season, 101 command plus. So it looks kind of like Mike Miner is an average-ish starter. The terms aren't out, so it's a little bit hard to analyze from a real, real baseball perspective. But still, like you know, there this is a an undervalued, undervalued type of pitcher. You know, like a pitcher, a competent pitcher that will give you innings. I think um, it's it's the type of pitcher that often the A's will buy. You know, so I think the Royals are kind of being like, let's fill out the rotation. Let's have a let's have somebody there. Let's you know, let's not just like have this one like two or three spots that are just like rookies. So I, I think it, I think a, a lot of these players can be undervalued. But in terms of velocity mattering, like the bottom, he's at the bottom. Like Mike Miner is, I think, uh, the bottom free agent when it comes to velocity change uh, from September. Um, 20 to March 19. Hmm. Um, and a name that's not a free agent, but it, who was also near the bottom uh, should should worry you is like Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I guess the true bottom is Cole Hamels. Yeah. Um, who was down almost three ticks. Um, but Madison Bumgarner signed a deal coming off being down off of v- down on Velo and it, it turned out to be pretty bad in the Velo. He lost even more Velo. So, um, I mean, Velo is important. It's it's a big deal. It's a it's one of the few things that can kind of predict the next uh, outing from a from a pitcher. You know, it gives you a great sense of how healthy they are. So, I had Miner at seventy among starters. I don't think he's moving up as a result of landing in Kansas City. Maybe he even falls down a little bit because the team context is not great. They're still kind of pushing through uh, a rebuilding phase, trying to find some young pieces to take more prominent roles there. So I think if he'd signed, re-signed with Oakland or, or gone to a team that we saw as a contender, maybe he would have ticked up slightly. Decent park, though. Yeah, the park helps the ratios, but I, I could still see if that velo doesn't come back. Yikes. He could still like, give up homers, yeah. That could be a pretty big problem for him. But the other move that the Royals made, uh, Michael Taylor getting a one-year deal. Looks like it's $1.5 million. This, to me, is kind of like your typical... Um, we saw Jake Marisnik go to the Mets as a free agent, a similar deal, uh, small side platoon, good defender in center field, a guy that could play more if you needed him to. If the big side guy gets hurt or isn't playing well, you sort of play Taylor more and just have a superior defender at a premium position. As far as what Taylor can do as a hitter, he's coming off of the worst year of his career, but the underlying numbers really weren't that bad. Like you look at the slash line, 196, 253, 424. That doesn't look good at all. But he hits the ball hard when he makes contact, and his strikeout rate actually got a bit better in the shortened season. Yeah, there's there's a there's room for him to have a decent fantasy season. I don't know about real life, you know, just the the lack of walks uh, has kept his his OBP around three hundred. And you know, I think we were talking about this off air a little bit. You know, just having Montesi and Taylor in the same lineup, uh, especially with Nicky Lopez, then you're just really torpedo and then michael franco is not really an obp guy either so like like basically half your lineup can't get on base Uh, Mm -hmm. it's a problem so uh, you know looking at this uh, 
depth chart the way that it is now and thinking about if you're drafting now or you just you're a Royals fan or you're just thinking about this team, I think that the depth charts don't quite have it right yet because I'm looking at fan graphs like Nicky Lopez is not going to start at second base for me. I think he had a shot. He can be a valuable part of a team because I think he can probably play outfield and infield um, and play a shortstop. So that is a pretty valuable piece as a, when you're building a team to have like a guy who can play shortstop and maybe center field. Like that's pretty amazing. You know, he won't be any good, but like, you know, he's the guy who can back up all those positions and be a really good piece on the bench. I put what Merrifield at second and that opens up two outfield positions uh, for a, some combination of Franchi Cordero, Michael Taylor, Edward Olivares, maybe like Nick, Nick Heath, uh, in the mix at some point, Khalil Lee, but that's two places uh, where now if you just sort of platoon Cordero and Taylor and you put Olivares and right, I think you've, you're getting somewhere in the outfield, like you're you're doing okay, and it's opportunity in fantasy because that means that like Olivares and Cordero could both be close to full-time bats and not cost a lot probably considering their past performance. Yeah, I think Olivares is pretty interesting just because he can fill all five categories potentially. I mean, we saw some really nice numbers from him at Double A with the Padres. I know what we saw in 2020 was a lot less impressive at the big league level, but he's the kind of guy that would have spent most of the season, if not all of 2020, at Triple A had there been a minor league season. So I think he's on the list of players you could see maybe going back down seeing some time in Omaha, maybe coming back up in the second half of the season if he doesn't come into spring training, tearing the cover off the ball and kind of locking in a spot. But if your holes are in the outfield corners, you can get short-term solutions to take those spots yeah, at low prices. Claims, yeah, there's there's, not, there's no shortage of guys that can capably be glue guys in those spots. be weird as hell to see Yasiel Puig and Kansas City, but (laughs) why not? Let's try it. Uh, One thing that it brings up is, you know, I'm working on a piece with uh, Britt Garoli and Melissa Lockhart about, uh, Britt Garoli-Kane, sorry, um, about uh, the current coming um, uh, year, the, you know, the way it's going to look, also the lost year and what what that's going to mean for baseball going forward. Um, And, you know, we're working on this, but it seems like the beginning of next season is in debate. And that debate goes from the major league level, where I think maybe uh, they've shown that they can play baseball, even if it's pandemic baseball, like they've kind of they've kind of established that to some extent. So uh, I think the regular season will be fine. However, the minor league season um, may be pushed further to accommodate the major leaguers, so you're not uh, you're not bringing so many people to camp, and you're not trying to sort as many situations out, uh, which I think would be difficult because you still have somebody like Oliveras who you're like, do, where does he start, and do you bring him to camp, and then you know, so you just don't have a minor league camp, or you have the minor league camp maybe in April when the major leaguers leave. Yeah, that could work. Uh, so you have some of your high minors guys in camp, and then you have to decide with Edward Oliveras. You know, should he stay back here with the minor league camp, or should he break with the the major league camp, major league team? Uh, there might it might have an effect on the shape of prospect seasons again next year, if you think about it. I'm about to have a keeper league auction Saturday night. It's the XFL auction. Uh, we do the reserves in the spring, so the prospects and the guys that round out the bottom part of the roster. We still have some time to kind of figure out what that's going to look like. But as far as choosing players that played up to double A and then didn't play in the big leagues this year. I have no idea what I'm going to use to justify going after those players. I feel like it's an extremely difficult year in keeper and dynasty leagues uh, to decide what matters to you and who's going to play, who's going to get the opportunity, who's still in favor within their respective organizations, because we don't have any public facing data on most of these guys as we've talked a lot about. A lot of the stuff, we, we, we have people doing the best they can to, to do live looks, but there's you know that there's going to be more Rolodex working this year in prospect evaluation. And that's always just subject to whatever the, <laughs> you know, the, the will of the 
the leaker is. You know, are they yeah. trying to pump a guy up for a trade? Or are they trying to hide a guy? Be like, oh no, he he was okay, whatever, you know. And he was like the best dude in the alternate camp. They just didn't want anybody to know about it. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, and, and there might be this weird thing where maybe um, everyone's less likely to break camp with the team because minor league camp hasn't even started yet. So they're just like, oh, he's just going to stay here. It just needs a little more time. It's, maybe it's easier to do that if minor league camp is just starting up. Yeah. I don't know. The minor league season, so much hinges on people being in seats. We've talked about that before, right? That's the critical aspect of that business. Like The job, if you work for a minor league team, is to get... Figure out how to get people to come. <laughs> as many people as possible to show up. With a craft beer festival or yep. some weird local band or Star Wars night. I mean, the best... The best ideas in the major leagues have come from minor league parks uh, trying them out. Right. So I think part of the thought process in, in waiting to start that season is to try and you know, see how things progress with the vaccine and mm -hmm. what kinds of gatherings are going to be held in America when we get to the second quarter of 2021. And I think trying to forecast that at the end of November, it, clearly it, it's very difficult to do. So if you want to <laughs> err on the side of caution... And you know, not play minor league games in empty stadiums or nearly empty stadiums. I imagine minor league teams where allowed would at least push social distancing and put you know pockets of fans in the stadium just to get something. And maybe they'd find some really clever way to make it unlike anything you've ever seen before in your entire life, and you'll pay a premium price to go. I would never put that past minor league marketing people they're some of the more creative people on the planet it's kind of just a coincidence there's baseball going on it's really just like pretend you're running a circus what will get people to show up to your circus today oh there's a baseball game over there if you if you're into that but really you're here for the circus and it, it is all the things that you mentioned right it is the craft beer festival uh, it is uh you know come the, the voltaggio brothers did like a, a dinner thing at fredericksburg one time that was like one of the best attended minor league games of all time and yeah you see seinfeld nights all the time where various characters from seinfeld like you can go uh, take a picture with newman i'd actually like to see newman versus jose canseco in a home run derby <laughs> so if someone could put those things together but Newman gets to hit softballs, and Canseco, <laughs> oh, okay. Canseco has to hit off of a pitching machine that can With also throw curveballs. <laughs> yeah, curveballs. <laughs> More pros versus Joe stuff for sure, for sure. But you know, what, one of the things that's cool too is like what they do between innings. When I was out in San Jose, they had one where like you had to demolish a truck. You just they gave you balls and you had to throw them at this truck, and you were just trying to demolish this truck by throwing <laughs> baseballs at it. Another one was they were just uh, they had a chipping contest where you were on top of the dugout and you tried to chip it into a, a little kiddie pool that was like thirty yards out or something. <laughs> Anything that you can like put together and clean up in you know the, the the amount of minutes that you've got you know <laughs> yeah yeah what they do here for the northwoods league we get the madison mallards they do um human bowling between innings where the the players i think stand out there as, as pins because the guys that aren't playing are just kind of sitting up on the berm again small summer league baseball but uh -huh. uh, so they jump down out of the berm and they stand up like pins and they put a kid in one of those like giant bubble ball things <laughs> and then they roll the kid at the players and the players you know they all fall down right and that's the thing that people get excited about and it works it sells tickets it's amazing so if you're wondering why the minor league season might be delayed it's really because you know you need people in person for the circus to work just a real quick like sorry to minor league baseball today has been kind of a bloodbath there's a bunch of announcements about different things and and it's funny of course it's because it's baseball they're like they're putting a they're trying to put a positive spin on everything so they're like the Pioneer League is now base. It's like baseball, like MLB adjacent. It's, we're announcing the Pioneer League as a partner league. Uh, dude, what you're actually saying is you kicked the Pioneer League out of affiliated baseball. Good job on that one. Nice spin on that one. And then they, they, I think they took a bunch of this other, th uh, of, of people that were kicked out of affiliated baseball, like the Trenton. I don't even know. I think Trenton lost their, affiliation like i don't i know that the yankees like uh made a change there but anyway there's this new thing called the draft league and my 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 sneaking suspicion is that those there are a lot of uh, uh other parks that were kicked out of affiliation 
and they're going to create these new leagues. And yeah, okay, so independent ball is going to be better in the future. But my understanding from players is that they hate independent ball and that it's mostly just a slog. And I don't, like other than the St. Paul Saints, like I can't think of a lot of places that draw a lot. And it's mostly just people trying to get a shot, you know? Yep. I don't know. I, I don't think that I don't think I my my I understand uh, about efficiency and I understand um, that maybe the Miley's have gotten too bloated. That 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 makes sense to me. Uh, but I also don't necessarily think that today is a very good day for, for baseball. No, today is a horrible day for baseball. And the impact of what's happening is really hard to even fully calculate and describe right now. But it's considerable in those communities where teams are either just gone because they Mm -hmm. won't be affiliated to anything. Uh, But even in situations like the Pioneer League, I imagine there's still going to be a hit there. Even though it is more about just showing up for something to do, it's not the same. It will not be the same anymore. And I think that's going to be a big setback for those places. I I look at this and I, I also wonder if we were building Major League Baseball from scratch today, you know, how many affiliates would we really have? Did minor league baseball grow to a point that didn't make sense from just a basic logistics standpoint, even though the league continued to push through with this model because it's favorable to the league, right? I mean, it's very good for business to run things the way things were running. But if you were trying to come up with the smartest and best system for developing players, turning high school kids and college kids into big leaguers, it wouldn't necessarily be putting them on a bus and sending them you know, 600 miles to play a game. There's some things about it that just don't quite add up in terms of player development. The, you know, some of those leagues are the first time where a player becomes more responsible for their life. You know, when you're on the when you're in the complex, you know, it's a lot easier where like the Blue Jays give you food, the Blue Jays, you know, like you're just sort of living in a Blue Jays dorm and the Blue Jays give you food and you play Blue Jays baseball. You know, that's 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 like more like school. But a lot of these, you know, rookie leagues and and low eight, like that sort of stuff is like the first time when a player has to like rent a place and like live somewhere and like, you know, pack and travel and stuff like that. So uh, to some extent, some of those are important. But I guess, you know, you can still have that with maybe one level of a ball instead of two. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. And it, yeah. again, I'm I'm not the person that wanted to take a hatchet to the minor leagues and do what's happening right now. This, again, is awful. Right. But I do look at the number of affiliates teams had. I do look at the way the minor leagues work and how unfairly compensated players are and the conditions of, of travel and how miserable that really is, poor nutrition, and step back and say, this really isn't the best way to make the most talented players in the world the most talented players in the world as quickly as possible this wasn't what minor league baseball was supposed to be though either right when when minor league baseball started this was not how baseball worked as a whole right i think you know the richer teams have even found a way to kind of leverage the minor leagues to to fit their needs by you know just like you know the phillies and yankees supposedly just have hundreds more minor leaguers in some other places you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. like they they just found a way to kind of like let's have two you know winter ball leagues and this and this and this and let's just gather more and more uh lottery tickets as we see it especially on the young end um and just uh you know put more people in this situation where they're not making much money they think they can make it but we're just sort of letting them battle it out like crabs in the bucket so yeah um it's maybe it's maybe it's just the reform that we needed. I don't know. It's just an unfortunate way that it's happening because again, lots of damage being done in the process. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Let's get to a few more news items we learned at the end of last week. Wander Franco has a biceps injury. It's being described right now as sore right biceps. It's his throwing arm, so that's definitely... Uh, concerning. He left the Dominican Winter League to be evaluated, and this was according to, I think, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com when the news came through. Uh, but still waiting more details. That evaluation might be happening today, tomorrow, literally right now. Totally possible. Uh, definitely a concern, though, because I mean, a long period of inactivity and you know, then ramping up to play games, something like this could be relatively minor. Uh, but if Franco has to shut down for a while, I think it could have a pretty significant impact on when he arrives. Like if he's completely healthy come spring training, I think there's a very good chance we see him after the minimum 10, 11 days have passed for the Rays to procure that extra year of service time. Because as you said back during our playoff episodes, he fixes one of the biggest flaws in that lineup. The Rays struck out too much in 2020. Franco would give them a guy at the top of the order who puts a ton of balls in play. And you know you can shift things around. You could turn Willie Adames into a super utility guy. Maybe you could move Brandon Lau off second base. You can make a trade. You make it work for a player this good. So as for now, the Rays and the prospect community sort of holds its collective breath, kind of waiting for the, the final word on Franco's injury. Yeah, I mean, that first blush, it doesn't seem... Uh, too worrisome. Although, if it ended up being Tommy John, that would delay his his uh, his development for a significant portion of time. But I, I mean, it's just I, I doubt it. It's the first time we're hearing of it. They didn't mention elbow. Um, I'm just hoping it's at worst a strained bicep or something, um, and it comes at an okay time. I guess the one thing that sucks is that he was going to get some playing time. He was going to play some games, you know, and playing games is important. So. Uh, but those leagues are having troubles of their own in terms of uh, COVID diagnosis and, and testing. And there could be some cancellations there, too. And he may not uh, miss all that much baseball. We'll, we'll, it remains to be seen there a little bit. But um, one thing that was interesting to me was I, I did get a chance to see some batted ball statistics uh, for Wander Franco. And I can't uh, share too many of them. But I can share that um, the max SVB wasn't great. Um and uh, that the average launch angle was uh, closer to zero than I'd expected. So I, I wonder if I'm going, to, like I personally might revise uh, the power projection down to sort of like a, at least at first, a guy who's going to hit, you know, 15 or so homers uh, in a full season. Um, but as you said, contact rate is great. Eye at the plate is great. The tools, uh, the defense um, and uh, I think he would be a superior uh, option at short than Adamas. So that you know it does make you wonder how they how they fix that, especially with the Snell um, you know news that they're shopping Snell. The, the Rays are just hard to peg. I, I think the the most fascinating one of the things that I always circle as like a sort of a last minute thing to do. The last one of the last things I do. Um, it, it actually is funny. I do it first and last. One, the the first and last depth chart that I try to figure out for my AL only for AL labor is <laughs> are the Tampa Bay Rays. So the first time I go through any of the I do the Rays and I sort of circle some places that I'm like, oh, this is what is going to happen here, what's going to happen here, and then I know that I have to put it away for a long time and then look at it again in spring because they might have signed Yoshitomo Satsugo or you know <laughs> done three other trades or whatever the, this the crazy stuff they do every year. Or so. But this team was always moving stuff around. So Margot and Kiermaier and center as a bit of a platoon, um, you know, that looks maybe like you can pencil it in. But I know that they've been trying to shop Kiermaier forever, you know, and maybe the Snell trade is an opportunity for them to pair Snell and Kiermaier. Um, and, but, but then the one thing that's left for me is like, well, then who plays center? I guess you just Margot and Phillips. I think they would just play Margot a lot. Yeah, I think maybe. we saw the usage of him in the postseason kind of point to 
But Margot a lot being of a player that they see another level. For, I, yeah, but I think they see a little more in that bat still. Okay. Look at where he was hitting in the order. I know part of it's who else did they have, but he played a lot more than I expected when it mattered most. So to me, that was a bit of a signal that they have quite a bit of faith in in Margot. They did that. You know, one of the things that was tough for me, I, I have a piece today that's up about Snell, and one of the things that was tough for me was I trying to put, I was trying to model it against the Chris Archer um, trade in the past, and um, you know, having lost Charlie Morton and then trade away Snell, I think that what, what what's left is well, we need we need starting pitchers back, right? But the way that they work is they'd rather get a controllable bat back, right? So, you know, now you're asking the trade to look like one controllable bat and two pitchers. Uh, maybe if you put Kiermaier in, you don't need that second pitcher back. And you can trade Snell and Kiermaier for some controllable bat and some pitcher. And then um, take the $10 million that that you had for Kiermaier and go to the market. And there's still some good... I mean, even if it's like, you know, uh, a combination of guys, but there's still some good one-year deals out there uh, if you have that $10 million. Uh, but theoretically, they should have the $15 million from Morton. So maybe then you have $25 million and you go sign Bauer. And then pitch him every fourth day so then yeah. you don't have to worry about that fifth starter spot until your rotation gets healthier because, oh you know, Yanni Chirinos recovering Please, from Tommy John, do do Brendan this. McKay, arm injuries, Brent Honeywell. I don't think you can count on him at this point. I mean, maybe they know more about him than we do on the outside, but th- there are some legitimate questions of, well, who rounds out this rotation if they also trade Snell away after losing Morton? I think as some of your scenarios and your piece laid out, getting a major league ready pitcher back is probably part of that return. It's getting a, a less proven one back. I thought that White Sox package was a, a snap except for the Rays. Andrew Vaughn plus Kopech. I'll admit it. I, I, you know, not every piece that I do is my A+. Plus. If I made a mistake, I might have, uh, because I started with the Archer deal as a model, I may have uh, over, I may have made it uh, too slanted in the Rays' favor. I'm getting a lot of feedback from White Sox fans that they wouldn't do that trade uh, and, and they wouldn't put Kopech and Vaughn together. Um, I'm getting feedback from Toronto. They wouldn't put Lords Goriel together with um, uh, Alejandro Kirk and Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's one of those things where you kind of try to model it after things that have happened. Uh, you try to get in people's heads. I think that prospects right now have less value than at any time before in some ways. Because, like, you tell me Andrew Vaughn's value right now. That's what I was kind of referring to with that keeper league auction that's coming up and thinking about prospects is you just have a missing data point. Yeah, the White Sox didn't even share data. So if you're looking at Andrew Vaughn, you're like, well, all I see is he had like poor ISOs for a, for a slugger. He had okay, you know, KBB stuff, but like he didn't really hit the ball that hard. And, you know, when he like he did not hit for power, he did not hit for power as you would expect from a first baseman. Um, and now I don't even have exit velo, so I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, there was other people that thought that the, uh, Toronto package was the most uh, reasonable. Um, and maybe, maybe that would trade if, if they got a catcher and a pitcher and a, and a bat, I think they would do it because the catching for them is not in a great position, but then there's a lot of teams that just sort of punt on catcher and just get like a decent framer with the, you know, the Rays used to do that. I mean, they used to. They had the 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 lesser Molina forever. So. Yeah, I mean, and Mike Zanino was punting at catcher for a few <laughs> years too, right? I mean, like they. No disrespect to him. I mean, right, he's right. just he's not a plus player offensively. They traded for he does him. a good job defensively. <laughs> but that was their plan for a while. I mean, I, yeah. I think the Padres and Rays having hooked up on some pretty interesting trades in the past certainly makes sense too. You had Adrian Morejon, Luis Patino, Luis Campusano. I mean, and they've got depth to pull something like this off. But maybe they're a little gun shy after Clevenger, and yeah. But I mean, I like the idea of that sort of trade because they've got catching depth, so they can afford to trade away Campusano. They still have more pitching prospects. In jail. <laughs> oh right, right. That was uh, in Georgia, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, look, look, hey, if I overshot, then let's change that deal. Let's make it Francisco Mejia. That, that makes work. You know, one of the things that, that I forgot, I think, about the Archer deal is that some of those, like, you know, Ed Meadows wasn't necessarily performing at 
what he did after the deal, right? And Glasnow wasn't performing at what he did after the deal. So there was a little bit of buying distressed assets, really. Even though in retrospect, you're like, holy crap, they got such a haul. So let's say they, they see something like a Mejia. Now maybe that becomes more doable, right? You keep Camposano, you deal with whatever legal issues, and you, you come out the other end with a replacement for Nola when he's gone, right? And then and you trade away Mejia, uh, who you might have soured on. So now you're talking about Mejia, Patino, there's the command questions. It's like last now. So now Mejia is, you know, like the distressed bat. Uh, Patino is the glass now. Uh, and, you know, I think it needs more. I think it needs Morahan. So now if you get Morahan, Patino, the Rays will turn that into two starters, right? They'll put Mejia behind the plate and sign some sort of D in framing guy to go with him. Um, and, uh, it might make sense for them. It might make sense for both because then the Padres are like, now, now we got Snell and Lamette at the top of our rotation. It, we can wait for Clevenger. Which is totally fine too. If you're the Padres, I think you can pull that off and you feel good about it. Like you're giving up a lot in terms of Patino's ceiling, but it seems like a fair trade on both sides. So I, I think there's definitely something there that could work. I am curious if the Padres are. Hesitant to make another move like that, though, after what happened uh, with Mike Clevenger and his health. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Let's get to a few more items that are trickling in on the news front from the KBO, Mel Rojas Jr., who's been the best hitter in that league. uh, He is seeking an MLB deal, so he's going to try and come back stateside if uh, the right deal comes along. A couple other players have posted Sungboom Na and Haseong Kim. You've seen Kim getting drafted in early drafts. I don't think Na is getting scooped up until like the end game of drafts, so uh, he's a little more iffy in terms of his profile, but Mel Rojas Jr. has done very well in the KBO, you know, and I'm curious, how well does he translate coming back over? Like, what kind of expectations should we have for him as a hitter if he does end up returning to MLB? Well, you know, he's getting a little bit older. Uh, he's was born in 1990, so we're we're talking about a, a guy who's past 30, and that, that's kind of meaningful because in the meantime, you know, he left as uh, more of a plus defender. I think that you would think. Um, and he's coming back more as a plus bat. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit, a little bit weird. Uh, this is age 31 season coming up. Uh, but, um, his age adjusted Davenport translations, 
for the for last season were amazing. Uh, two ninety four batting average, three fifty four OBP, five fifteen slugging. Uh, but the two seasons before that, even though they rated really well in the KBO, uh, they weren't as good um, in their translations, more like a 440 slugging. So if I just sort of eyeballing this, I would project him for something like a 330 OBP and like a 440, 450 slugging. Um, and, uh, you know, let's see, let's see who, who can do something like that. That would be, in, I think, in like a corner outfield, it's, it's not, um, it's not amazing, but uh, it could be useful. Um, and like the, the Royals. <laughs> I think the Royals would actually be a really good fit there. Uh, Trent Grisham with less speed uh, is showing up as a, as a, as a number. Uh, Jerickson Profar. Ooh, Jerickson Profar. Hmm. Maybe a little bit more power than Jerickson Profar. David Peralta. Yeah, not a bad player. Yeah, we're okay. We're talking about like a, like a major league average starter. J.D. Davis kind of fits that in terms of his 2021 projection. Really? Surprising. Oh, I'm looking at uh, retroactive numbers, not projected. You're right. There you, you, were, you did the better thing. <laughs> yeah, you did the better thing. Let me, A rare okay, let win me, for me. <laughs> let me, let me, I'm looking at projected slugging now. Let me get past these, this first page. So he's on the second page of projected slugging. Um, Justin Upton. Yeah. Yeah, I think a Justin Upton comp is interesting. It's actually pretty comparable to like Yasiel Puig's OBP and projected slug as well. Mm-hmm. A few comps yeah, there. So I think, a, yeah, a useful outfielder. Um, it is interesting to think of like who would want, because there is, of course, risk, right? So then you like what teams would want uh, like a major league uh, outfielder you know, and be able to absorb the risk. You know, the Padres are actually showing a 1.1 in right field right now in terms of projected war. Uh, so they're an interesting team. The athletics are always interesting for situations like this, I feel like. Um, so that, that's the kind of team. The Indians can't put together an outfield, so why don't they try something? <laughs> something other than what they're doing. <laughs> so anyway. There, you know, there's teams. I, I would put it in the teams that are like looking to compete now, have want to spend a little bit of money, but don't want to spend on like Ozuna, and would rather you know spend like three million, one and three, one and five for Rojas, and and, and see if he can't be a major league average outfielder. Yeah, I wonder if the Cardinals would see him as someone they would just play over Dexter Fowler and just eat the Fowler money at this point. Yeah, they seem like they have a lot of options in the in the outfield, but sometimes when you have a lot of options, you don't have enough. Yeah, look at the other teams in need of corner help. I mean, the Royals, as we kind of mentioned in passing, they certainly make a little bit of sense as well. The Brewers have a 0.5 in right field right now. And they would actually be, they could be an interesting fit. Well, they did it with Thames a few years ago, too. Yeah, exactly. So they've done it with some success. I think part of the problem with their outfield, though, is that you're going to put Lorenzo Cain back in center, and then you've got Yelich and Avi Garcia in the two corners. So without, without universal DH... I don't think they make that happen. I think Kane's return probably pushes that aside based on the way they're built right now. But there could be a surprise trade coming. Well, um, any case, uh, that's interesting. But as I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing a roundup of like, you know, international free agents like this. And one thing that I'm finding um, is that maybe Nah is the most underrated, if uh, that's the right way to put it, because I, you know, people aren't, you know, drafting him for ex- for ex- for example, and then um, uh, one pitcher that pitched in in Korea told me that Sung Bung Na would be the best bat coming over. And now we're we're talking about a guy who was kind of a star center fielder before a really drastic uh, knee injury. And last year he came back and he played so well, um, and he did it with um, he did it with being in his recovery. You know what I mean? Uh, that was in his recovery year. So, like, I, I think that he could, with a, another year uh, separated from his uh, knee injury, be more of an asset in, uh, on defense. Um, and his, uh, you know, translated numbers uh, are a little bit more exciting uh, in terms of higher OBP. Um, he had a, a, some higher slugging years. And then um, I guess he's 31 too. So, but if he costs less, uh, bum, you know, and he, it sounds like he will in in fantasy. 
Um, I would be I would be looking at both those guys if I wanted something like that. So yeah, you look at the numbers from 2020. I mean, 34 homers, 324, 390, 596. It's a 155 WRC plus in the KBO. Uh, going back to the Thames, just as an example of a hitter that came over and, and played pretty well. Thames in his three-year run with the Dinos had WRC pluses of 165. He had a 216 yeah, in 2015. Yeah. And a 165 again in 2016. Eric Thames is 2015 with the NC Dinos. 47 homers, 40 steals. He walked more than he struck out that year. Yeah. Just an absolute monster year. And you were listing the, the 156 uh, WRC plus you were listing that was Sung Wong Na? Yeah, yeah. yeah 155, yeah. yep. So I don't know. Uh, he, he's interesting. Um, I think my roundup will uh, include uh, Dan Straley, who uh, was probably the best pitcher in the KBO last year. He lost out uh, in the Cy Young, basically. But um, I'm gonna look at Kohi Ahihara. I think I have that spelled wrong there. Um, but uh, uh, and then Tomoyuki Sagano, the two pitches that are gonna come over from. Uh, Japan, and then Hasyung Kim is the shortstop, but I think that there's a, a fair amount of defensive value there. So I I do wonder, um, you know, if you look at Hasyung Kim's um, translated uh, stats, uh, they're not quite as good as uh, the you know prototypical slugger types uh, that we've been talking about. They're a little bit better in OBP, uh, but the power is more of a question. I'm glad you brought up Straley. He ended up with 205 Ks in 194 and two-thirds innings uh, for the Lotte Giants. Uh, it's a 250 ERA, 102 whip. So just good numbers across the board. You look at Straley's big league career, he's had two seasons where he's basically been a two-war pitcher, but he's had multiple seasons where he's been below replacement level as well. Obviously, the most recent one we saw in 2019 with the Orioles. Uh what adjustments did Straley make this year, and, and how do you think that would help him you know, fare better, kind of be more like the guy we saw uh, earlier in his career in 2013 or even as recently as 2017 with the Marlins, which was that other two-war season? Well, one of the things was he was healthy. He had torn a meniscus uh, in 2019, and he had to have surgery for that, I think. And then so, um, you know, he, he was healthy. Um, he said that he got a curveball grip from one of his Park Se Wong, uh, gave him his curveball grip. Um, Straley said that his fastball would have been 13th in RPM in the big leagues if he was over here. Um, and he sat 91, which is one of his better numbers for when he's a starter. Uh, so the velo came back, the health was back, he added a curveball. Um, and then he was working with a, a, a coach over there called Josh Hertzenberg, um, who used to be in the um, Dodgers organization. And they were uh, working with the best data and, and tech just on, on, the, on par with major league teams. Um, and so they made some small adjustments to his slider and his changeup uh, based on what they saw. And so what I see is a guy who has the potential to kind of throw um, four or five pitches and be really unpredictable. Um, and show some good command of that secondary stuff. So um, I don't know that I, I would sort of say like Tanner Roarkish. Tanner Roarkish. <laughs> Tanner Roarkey. Yeah, Roarkey um, on that level. Um, but um, maybe uh, the chance to kind of rewind and be Tanner Roark a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's serviceable for, for deeper leagues, especially. Uh, we just went through this with Josh Lindblom, and he didn't really put it all back together in the big leagues. I mean, he held his rotation spot for most of the shortened season. I think the underlying numbers for Lynn Bloom are better than the results. So he's kind of an interesting by low consideration going into 2021. And, and just for reference, I mean, I've got Lynn Bloom at 88 among starting pitchers. I think if Straley comes back over, he's probably in a similar range, kind of one of your last starting pitchers in your active lineup most of the time, but not a guy that you're just throwing out there for every single start in your typical mix league, you're going to be playing it kind of carefully with him. Yeah, it's like slightly closer to only league status, you know. Yep, definitely a guy that's in all the time in those formats. The Giants are rumored, though. And, you know, I think even with the changes to the park there, it's still, I, I think Giants Park is now on the order of sort of St. Louis. Um, I think it's no longer like St. Louis and then like 
six blank spots and then San Francisco on the bottom. <laughs> I think I think that uh, San Francisco is going to play a little bit like St. Louis in the future, just a normal pitcher's park. Um, and I think if Straley ended up there, I think it would be a good fit for him. Yeah, I think that would be as well. I think, again, that would support the 80 to 90 range sort of rank that uh, I think currently makes sense for Lindblom. Uh, so there's a good rundown of some of the players that we might see coming over to more detailed stuff coming later this week looking forward to that one uh we got uh, a question from steve g one of our loyal listeners uh, he wants to know if we have any tips for those who are in leagues that didn't have a fantasy season in 2020 i mean there's keeper leagues that just skip the year and that creates a whole bunch of problems if you didn't address those at the beginning of the year I recommend starting to troubleshoot those problems now. That way you're not doing it while you're trying to draft uh, in March. Um, but yeah, so if, if, what kinds of tips do you have for anybody that didn't have a season in 2020? I don't know, man. I think this is uh, almost the time when you have to go softest. I mean, you have no data, right? So you have to you know, read some analysts that you respect. Um, and you have to hope that they are sifting through their sources for the more reliable ones. And they're looking at as much video as they can, they can scrounge together and uh, the little bits of data that they can get. Um, and, uh, it, it's, uh, it's going to be a heck of a time to try and look at somebody's ground ball rate from 2019 and single a and decide what they're <laughs> going to do. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to point you to any statistical markers right now because they're, a year going to be a year old. You don't know. There's like a big missing thing there. Even if they hit 50% ground balls in 2019 and a ball, maybe they hit 45 in the alternate side this year, you know, and they're, and they've been improving their, their ability to, to drive the ball for power. So I don't know, man, I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I asked my, I asked James, you know, he said, I'm just doing my best. I'm texting people and calling people and trying to find video. That's the pursuit. But yeah, I do think trying to track down what players are doing in various workouts, things like that might actually be somewhat helpful as we're looking to just put any pieces together that we can. Uh, as far as the actual league setup, Steve writes, we had our draft order set and didn't declare keepers in their league. They can have three keepers. Should we keep the same draft order for 2021? I would say there's no reason to change it coming off of uh, 2019. If you didn't play in 2020, whoever had the first pick Going to 2020, based on however your league decides it, they can keep the first pick for 2021. I would say if you drafted in 2020 and then didn't play it out, but you kept the players, then you would have to have some sort of random lottery system for first pick. Oh. You wouldn't want to give the same team the first pick in two drafts in a row, right? Because then they'd get the top prospect last year plus Torkelson or you know, Dominguez or whoever they're going after this time around. Yeah, I, I I don't think you can change the draft order if you didn't play any fantasy baseball. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing to change it to, right? Um, so I don't I don't know uh, what to do there. Otherwise, in terms of like fixes or or things that I would do, um, you know, some leagues they played a little bit, like they played like a redraft league, and then they were gonna they froze their dynasty league, um, and I think that'll be really. I think you're right to just start conversations now so that everyone's happy with the decision that's made and they have enough time Start it before you open up for trading. Right. Yep. Um, because like, let's say you're some, the person who won the, the redraft league wants to be like, Hey, I want a reward for that. Give me the number one pick in the thing. And be like, well, we didn't talk about that. So probably not. But if everyone's on board or can we find a way to reward the redraft or are we just going to ignore that that ever happened or so anyway, just get everybody talking now so that, that you can come to some solution because you really want to come, you want to fix all of the situation for your next year before you open up trading. That's the big deal. You have to, you, everybody has to be on the same board when it comes on the same level, when it comes to what these trades mean, you know, you can't, have a trading session and be like, okay, we're adding another roster spot or we're adding a util spot. We're adding MI. What? I just traded away an MI because I thought I had depth. Now I have, now I'm behind, you know? So like just start the conversations about settings now, nail the settings, then you can open up uh, trading. Yeah. And I think if you have a league that uses ADP or something to determine keeper costs, uh, use the 2021 ADP. Don't go back to 2020 or anything like that. I mean, there are some changes that happen, but just predetermine these things before 
any action happens. The trades are the main thing you're worried about uh, in Keeper and Dynasty Leagues, as Eno pointed out. Uh, thanks a lot for the question, Steve. Uh, one other question to get to. This one came in from Jared. Uh, he wants to know, Luis Severino in Dynasty Leagues, is he a buy, sell, or hold? If you're selling, what are you looking for in return? And I would say that the situation here is pretty similar to what you might say about Chris Sale or, or Noah Syndergaard as well, where you have uh, really good pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery, and they're probably not ready for the start of the season, but they're probably coming back sometime around June, give or take maybe a month in either direction. But uh, what's your general approach with these pitchers in this situation? Because this is fairly common to have a, a top 20, top 25 starting pitcher in the later stages of Tommy John surgery. Are you usually trying to wait until the first full year of health, or do you actually try and buy in long-term leagues before they come back and return to those previous levels? I mean, the only way that you can... I, the next time I want to roster Luis Severino in like in redraft leagues is 2022. Like, I just... I the, the, the general consensus is to kind of push and wait and wait and wait, and if there's any sort of elbow bark or anything, stop, shut it down, start over. You know, it's always like... You know, there has been some research that shows that the longer you wait on uh, Tommy John return, like the better it is. So like most teams are now sort of 13 month, you know, and, and maybe even pushing it. So I don't want him for I don't want him for 20, uh, 2021. Um, so if you are buying him that you're buying somebody that you think can be good in 2022, that means you have to hold him on your roster next year without getting much value out of him, which means I think I want you to be a rebuilding squad. If you're a rebuilding squad that's sort of percolating and getting close, then I th I could see buying Severino, maybe with some lower level prospects if that's possible, or um, or with some veterans um, that you think will be not so great in 2022. So like you're playing a game there uh, to try and f figure it out because it's just really awkward fitting for like me as a contender in my league. I, I was I was fourth last year and I want to win it next year. I'm not buying Severino. Yeah. I, I think you can't afford to give what is a fair offer at this stage because someone who waited for Severino is only a couple of in-season months away from getting him back. So they're going yeah. to expect something pretty close to full freight because the assumption, the reason they held them is they think he's coming back. Right. He's going to be at that level. None of those three pitchers, by the way, are in the top 100 overall of our friend uh, Ian Kahn's updated dynasty rankings. He's got a set of rankings over at Rotowire that are a really good trade guide of you know what a really sharp dynasty league player is going to expect in a return. Cindergard, um, yeah, I think, is actually the lowest at 169. Uh, Sale, I think, is the highest. I guess the other way to think about this problem, though, too, if you are going to trade for Severino or Sale or Cindergard, I'm looking at the pitchers that are high up in Ian's rankings and in, in dynasty rankings. Right, you see guys like. I'm not going to give away his whole list or anything, but guys in their early 30s, like DeGrom, just for a frame of reference, is 30th overall in those rankings. So, But not among pitchers. Sorry. That's 30th <laughs> That's overall. What? Fifth, <laughs> yeah. fifth among yeah, yeah. pitchers in dynasty ranks. Uh, you go a little okay. further down, guys like you know, Woodruff, uh, you know, Snell, they're they're kind of back the There's top. There's a bias 10. towards bats in every dynasty. Hey, you want to, yeah, you want yeah. you want to build with bats. You'd rather you think the top twenty five would be all bats. Yes, I agree. You're probably not skying up much higher than those guys. Like to even get to the Degrom level would be a stunning upset for any of those guys at this stage of their respective careers. And if one of those guys was actually going to do it, I guess you got to put your money on Sale because he's done it before, right? I mean, if Sale's basically the same guy post-surgery that he was pre-surgery, he's the only guy that has a chance to maybe be a top five dynasty league pitcher again. And even that is a stretch. That is a very so high bar to clear. 31, yeah. Yep. So you do have to be a little bit careful in terms of the ceiling expectations for these guys given where they're at in their career and how people generally approach pitching in keeper in dynasty leagues. I think just generally, I don't want to bet. I don't want to know already that I'm going to miss half the season from a pitcher. You know what I mean? It's definitely not happening for me in, in redraft leagues with yeah. maybe the exceptions of 
only leagues uh, labor like we've talked the about the unlimited rules there. dl spots Un- unlimited dl you know five seven bucks in the end game move them off then i can use my reserve pitchers for the first half of the season yeah. maybe in those leagues i'm okay taking that chance but in typical leagues missing two months is almost as much of a do not draft as yeah. you can really put on a player who will play at some point in the upcoming season yeah so hopefully that helps, Jared. Always fun to try and speculate on those players. And I think, as Eno said, if you're in a long-term league, you're looking more to compete in 2022. It's not that you expect those guys to kind of put you over the top in the second half of 2021. Uh, some good news, if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic and you're listening to this show the day it was recorded on Monday, our Black Friday deal, Cyber Week deal, Cyber Monday deal, I don't know what they call these things anymore, it's $1 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That gets you all of Eno's pieces, our fantasy baseball rankings, all the great stuff we have on The Athletic. doesn't matter what combination of sports and teams that you care about. We definitely have you covered, and it's the best deal around. Best deal we have all year, 80% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.